Welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, a podcast brought to you by Cure Media, the leading and award-winning influencer marketing agency for fashion, home, and beauty brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about consumer behavior in a digital age, and of course, all things influencer marketing in right around 15 minutes. In this week's episode, we have Emmanuel Probst, the global lead of brand thought leadership at Ipsos, and the author of the books Brand Hacks and Assemblage. Emmanuel also teaches at UCLA. We'll be discussing his most recent findings and what they say regarding how consumer views of brands are shaped and how companies can have a positive impact on people, society and the economy. Hi, Emmanuel, and big welcome to the podcast. Sana, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Before we start, could you just tell the listeners a bit about yourself and what you do? My name is Emmanuel Probst, and I'm the global lead for brand thought leadership at Ipsos. Ipsos is one of the largest, if not the largest, market research agency in the world, publicly owned, and uh, I also teach consumer market research at UCLA, and I write books as well. And of course, uh, Sana, you are familiar with my latest book, which is called Assemblage, The Art and Science of Brand Transformation. Yes, I am. And we will dig a bit deeper into the findings of your latest book in this episode. So your new book looks at brand strategy through the lens of brand's personal, social, and cultural implications. And when we talked before the recording, uh, we talked about some of the key outcomes from this book. So I'm super excited, and I think the listeners are as well. What what are the main things, for example, when it comes to consumer perceptions? I know that one of the things that your book recognizes is that in order to succeed, Brands can no longer just sell products, but they must urgently transform us and the world we live in. Yeah, exactly. You you said it right. The book starts from the acknowledgement that brands can no longer just sell products. Brands must make and have the opportunity to make a positive impact on people and the world around us. And uh, the chapter you referred to is called Perception is the Truth. So... To take a step back, how can brands be transformative? Well, brands can be transformative by demonstrating a positive impact on people, the individual, and their world, that is their local community, and the world, that is the world at large. Or we can call this the macro context. Yeah. And uh, in terms of uh, perception being the truth, that's the chapter you referred to, is a... Uh, chapter where we zoom in on how people understand brands, if you will. And in a nutshell, we see that in marketing, the truth in and of itself doesn't matter tons. What really matters is the perception we create for brands and the perception people, consumers, create 
of the brand for themselves. And the book shows you how to orchestrate, create that perception. And I think a good example, very briefly, is, for example, in vodka, whereby it will be very hard to distinguish vodka if you consider Grey Goose versus Belvedere versus Tito's versus Absolute, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be very hard to distinguish this product in a blind test. What really matters is... Um, the attributes we associate with those products, with those different brands, and that is what justifies the price point and creates a product that is unique and salient. For sure. What would you say the, for the brands that are listening and who wants to create these brand perceptions, what are the key drivers? Yeah, um, three main drivers are covered in the book. And as you summarize, it's really personal, social, and and cultural drivers. And uh, I think the key these days in branding is to create brands that are more authentic, more unique, more relevant to people, and to reduce what I call the social distance between the brand and the audience. What this means is for the longest time, we relied on photoshopped models in advertising and uh, very aspirational yet unattainable goals, lifestyles depicted in marketing. And uh, now the key is going to be to come across as a lot more authentic, but also to co-create the brand narrative with the audience. And what I mean by this is five or seven years ago, brand strategists could dictate the, the narrative for the brand, could dictate what the brand uh, stood for. In sharp contrast today, as a brand strategist, you want to engage with your audience to co-create this narrative. Uh, you can establish what the brand stands for at a high level. However, in its execution, you want to, you have to, you must work with your audience. For sure. I think this becomes more and more important, especially when we look at the younger audiences coming up in age right now such as Gen Z and even the alphas coming after that. And it's also much more possibilities today for brands to do that through social media, etc. Would you say that brands in general and brand strategists are good at doing this? Candidly, I think they feel threatened because it's not easy to let go of control. And in this book, I, I prompt them to let go of some control, of some of the creative control, and embrace um, this phenomenon that they cannot uh, fully control anyway. And what I mean by this is, short answer to your question is no. I don't think most brand strategists are uh, attuned to this. But this book shows you how. And what I mean by this is, as a brand, you can establish the big idea, you can establish the territory of the brand, and then in in terms of the creative executions and the activations around the brand and its products, that's where you need to collaborate with the audience. Uh, allow me to play scare tactic for a second, whereby if you don't co-create with your audience, your audience 
will uh, can do some damage. What I mean by this is people will talk back at brands today. People will cancel your brand. People may campaign against your brand on social media. And of course, you, you really don't want this to happen. So as with many things in life, it's about getting ahead and proactively partnering with the audience rather than bracing for the worst. That's really good advice. And we've seen many examples of that happening recently. Indeed. So in your book, you also talk about how brands can reassure consumers about the future by leveraging the past and the present. Can you develop this a bit? Yeah. We live in a world that is fascinating yet threatening. And what I mean by this is we're all excited about our smartphones and social media and messaging apps and uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and all those great technologies that, again, are fascinating yet threatening, especially when it comes down to artificial intelligence. Mm. Because for many of us, if we want to be honest, the question is, is artificial intelligence going to uh, take over my job? And as such, as humans what we seek is reassurance and permanence. We seek comfort. We seek a safe place where we can see the world from. And in the chapter you are referring to, I look at how brands can reassure people, provide them with comfort by leveraging their past, their present, and future. And one way to do this is to rely on nostalgia. Another way to do this, for example, is to convert something old into something new. We see this in retail, whereby an old prison in Boston became a hotel or a old power station in London, Battersea, became a art center and shopping mall and an office and residential building. We see this in France, where former boulangeries become retail stores. So by doing so, by transforming something that's already in existence into something new, you give it a new meaning and you help reassure people about their future and uh, you give them a sense of permanence. Mm. It's interesting and I think this might be even more important in tough times as in recessions and in slowdowns, because as you say, we see comfort and the things we know. And I think recently we've seen a lot of nostalgia marketing, uh, calling back the 90s into today's marketing campaigns, which I think is fantastic. You're you're right. And uh, anecdotally, that's why, for example, a TV show like Friends still gathers a lot of... uh, Viewers, and even though the show hasn't aired, France hasn't aired for over 10 years now, but the show depicts a sense of timelessness and effortless friendship that would be, that is hard to foster in life anyway, uh, but arguably much harder to foster in life today than ever before. It's very hard to maintain, to create and maintain friendships even as adults, uh, around a central place and do so as effortlessly as depicted in the show. And this explains why the show is so successful, even though, once again, it hasn't aired for something like 10 years. 
Yeah, I think I've seen it. I, I, I'm currently watching it as well. I think it's my fifth time or something, <laughs> but it's so nice to just have it in the background. It's just like, like a friend over. Yeah, well, what you're doing is uh, a great illustration of this sense of permanence of, and reassurance. You've watched this show many times, so you know the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you keep watching it because of the comfort it brings you and how reassuring and refreshing in a counterintuitive sort of way it feels for you to watch a show that you already watch multiple times. Definitely. So today, brands, they they struggle with greenwashing and as you said, consumers are quite skeptical and you have to do things right in order to not get cancelled. So how would you say brands can make a positive impact on people, society and the economy? Yeah, that's where the book is really optimistic. Brands do have an opportunity to do the right thing. For the longest time in marketing, we have been depicted as the guys selling alcohol and cigarettes. We still do, but it doesn't have to be that way. Brands really have an opportunity to help address global warming and develop more sustainable products, but also to engage in upcycling and recycling and the circular economy, for example. Or another thing one can do is to educate the public about arm them with specific skill sets. So an example in technology, for example, are brands like Google or Microsoft that run training programs to show people um, how to acquire and leverage digital skills. Now, make no mistake, those brands are in business to make money, and at the back end of that, they intend to sell their products and solutions. But that's completely fine. The point being that if you're a small business in Europe or pretty much anywhere in the world and you want to learn more how to generate traffic for your website or your brick-and-mortar store using technology, you can learn with Google or you can learn with Microsoft. And what we see in our studies at Ipsos is people will trust these brands, these tech brands, more so than they trust government agencies or the media or even universities to teach them those skills anyway. So we spoke about upcycling and recycling and uh, arming people with new skills. That's at least three ways that brands can make a positive impact on the world at large. Yeah, the first brand that comes to my mind when we talk about this is Patagonia. They do so much good things when it comes to the earth and the environment. But I guess there are, I mean, everyone can't do it in the same way and at the same level as they do, but everyone can do something. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the upside, or how do I put it? Where Patagonia is in a better position than many brands, uh, number one, it's a brand that was built around purpose. In contrast, many of the big brands have been around for many years now and have to back engineer, uh, reverse engineer the whole thing, if you will, whereby they have to adopt a purpose. So it's a bit harder for them. And also, Patagonia is kind of a niche brand in the first place. But I'm saying so in a good way. What I mean by niche is it appeals to a specific lifestyle and specific audience. And it's harder 
very feasible, but harder for a large brand, let's just say like Starbucks, for example, or McDonald's, you know, those brands are always spoke about Google, those brands with a very, very big footprint that were not built around a purpose to delight customers and make as positive of an impact on the world as someone like Patagonia does, but very feasible. Really interesting. Thank you so much, Emmanuel, for sharing all these insights. It was great having you on the podcast. Thank you, Sana, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, and if they want to read your book, how can they find it? Yeah, so again, the book is called Assemblage, The Art and Science of Brand Transformation, and my name is Emmanuel Probst, and the book's available on Amazon and also at bookstores, obviously, these days. The easiest way to order the book is uh, simply to type assemblage and props in Amazon and you'll find the book there. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you want to continue staying up to date on our weekly podcast episodes, influence marketing and what's up on the consumer marketing scene, make sure you follow us on our platforms at Cure Media.